This week's episode of the Slash Filmcast is brought to you by Casper. Get $50 off any mattress purchase by visiting casper.com slash filmcast and using promo code filmcast. That's casper.com slash filmcast and using promo code filmcast. Terms and conditions apply. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Slash Filmcast, the official podcast of SlashFilm.com. I'm David Chen, and with me are... Vendor Hardwire. And Jeff Kanata. And welcome to the show, ladies and gentlemen. Find more episodes of this podcast at SlashFilmcast.com. Email us at SlashFilmcast at gmail.com. Today, we're going to do a short episode because uh, we actually have a bonus episode, a pretty big bonus episode coming later this week, uh, where we will be releasing the follow-up to the Summer Movie Wager 2016. So uh, a really oft-requested episode uh, that we've already recorded. We're going to release it later this week. So as a result, this episode will be a little bit shorter than usual. Uh, but yeah, just uh, stay tuned to our feed and you'll be getting a, a big dose of Slash Filmcast goodness later on. Uh, today, all we're going to be doing is discussing what we've been watching. We've been watching a bunch of stuff that we want to tell you about. And then concluding with an in-depth review of Deepwater Horizon, the newest film by Peter Berg starring Mark Wahlberg. Let's get right into it, guys. Uh, this week, I want to talk about a few things I've been watching. So I went to go see a concert by Sia. Do you guys know Sia, the musician? For sure. I am actually seeing her later this month with oh, Miguel. Cool. Yeah, uh, where uh, where is she playing? She's playing at the Barclay Center here with uh, Miguel. I'm looking oh, yeah, forward to that. That's right. Nice. So uh, I saw Sia at the Key Arena. She's kicking off her first arena tour, mm-hmm. uh, and uh, the first stop on that tour was the Key Arena in Seattle. And so I saw her, and uh, I mean, Devinder, do you mind if I tell you kind of what the <laughs> yeah, setup go, is? Yeah, go for yeah, it. Spoilers. You can from... spoil it. It's fine. <laughs> so why she am I... sings. I so... know her songs. <laughs> why am I talking about a Sia concert is the setup was really, really interesting. Mm-hmm. So the way it worked was usually when they have a huge arena show like this, what they do is they have the people on the stage, and then they have these gigantic screens that give you a live feed of what's going on on stage, right? Like we've all been to a big concert before. Sure. So I started watching the concert, and I was watching these screens because I was pretty far away from the stage. And I started realizing, hey, like this is – something's not quite right. Something's weird here. <laughs> and uh, essentially like the, the – what was on the screens, uh, w- like they were getting camera angles that were impossible. Like I was uh-huh. like, how are they doing that? There's no camera like on what? stage. And so basically what it is is it is a meticulous recreation of oh. everything that's going on on stage. Oh, so it's crazy. sort of like those things that let you like 360 degree swing the camera around. I think there's no, some, no, no, uh, no, no, no. Like it's like it's like a music video that's playing, okay. and they're recreating it exactly huh. uh, on stage. And uh, that is interesting because also uh, famous actors are in the recreations that they project on the screen. Mm-hmm. So uh, Kristen Wiig showed up, Shia LaBeouf, um, Ben Mendelsohn. Showed up in, in one of the things. Uh, that guy's so, everywhere. Yeah, and so yeah. like you know, actors that you and I know about and have talked about in the Slash Filmcast and are big fans of, um, they were part of the Sia concert. And okay. uh, and the thing is, I don't think that they were actually on stage doing the recreation. It sounds like a Charlie Kaufman experiment. Yeah. It, I mean, it does. What are you doing here? It, it is crazy. Like people actually in the, in the arena lost their shit. When Kristen Wiig showed up on the screen, because I think they really thought that that was Kristen Wiig on stage. Mm-hmm. I don't think it was. I think it was just a lookalike. 
like a bonus. Yeah, it is crazy. So it's crazy. It's actually That's kind like, of fucked up almost. Yeah, like, it's a lie. Yeah. Have like, an, uh, I guess, a, an actor on stage representing the actor in the video. That's, That's right. Weird. That's right. Okay. That's right. That's what? exactly what's going on. Now, Sia has these like surrogates, right? We, she, nobody knows what Sia looks like. This well, that's not, that's not true. Uh, she <laughs> she has appeared in public before, but like in recent years, she sings completely uh, with her face obscured. Right? She's I like think. the Doctor Doom of <laughs> musicians. Right? There's yeah. there's Doom bots. And her face is always Danger obscure. Mouse and then yeah. Sia. Yeah, so the idea is that like the people on stage dancing and the people in the video are her surrogates. Like they're they're kind of like they play her, you know, uh-huh. in, uh, like in these videos and on stage. And and one of the most famous uh, Sia surrogates, Maddie Ziegler, actually is on stage, you know, dancing and also in the video. She's the person that dances in the Chandelier music video, uh, which is nominated for Grammy, I believe. Like, great, great music video. Uh, So all that being said, it was one of the best concert-going experiences I've ever had. And uh, I'm actually going again. Um, She's going to be in Chicago, and I'm actually going to that show as well. You've Um, had enough, sir. (laughs) But uh, I bring it up just to say, like... You call that the... um the Sia later? Mm-hmm. Mm. I had a feeling that was coming, Jeff. Ow. And... Did, is that what you call that, Dave? Are you like, did you evolve dad jokes, Jeff? <laughs> like you're extra evolved. Dad jokes evolved. Uh, anyway, I bring it up just to say, like, if you have a chance to see Sia, you should check check it out because she's touring the country right now and she's going to pretty much every major city. Uh, That's super cool. And it is an incredible concert going yeah. experience. Who was um, the, uh, the other musical guest at this show? Uh, Luna something? I don't know. I didn't, mm. We didn't actually see... Uh, the opening acts like we basically skip the opening acts so ah just, you're one of those cool, cool kids <laughs> yeah. that's right. we cruise in fast and really late and just see the main the main show like where's Kristen Wiig that's all I came for <laughs> exactly right so that's Sia and she's on the nostalgic for the present tour highly recommended it's a crazy audio visual experience and cool. uh, not, like nothing else I've ever seen so and yeah she's playing the Hollywood Bowl Jeff uh, so I know my old stomping grounds yeah so if you have, have a chance have to say it. I followed Sia's career for a while too because she was with uh, she did zero seven tracks for a long time like yeah. i'm i'm glad she's huge now like she deserves it incredibly all. talented songwriter so and singer mm-hmm. yeah that's right uh and i wanted to mention a few other things i've been watching frontline the choice i sent you guys this documentary do you guys have a chance to check this out no, no uh, is, is a political documentary. It's two hours long. It's available for free right now on PBS. This is how PBS enticing Netflix. Dave made this uh, documentary. Yeah, uh, I did a really good job of selling it. Um, it, it basically <laughs> is a really good overview of Hillary Clinton's and Donald Trump's careers. And mm-hmm. it gives you a really good sense of like where they're coming from, all the stuff they've gone through. Uh, it's, it's actually, I would say it's a little short. I, I would like something that's more OJ Simpson made in America, right. you know, that's like seven hours long. Cause you'd think there would be something like that at this point. Yeah. But not quite. I think just because there is a single decision point like the election. And so the, the choice yeah, won't really evergreen. make much sense after the election happens. Cause right. then the choice will already been made. Um, but yeah, it's, it's totally fascinating. Uh, but you know, as a result of only being two hours long, you know, the, mm-hmm. the 2012 election, which is a huge chapter of Hillary Clinton's life, only gets like three minutes. You know what I mean? Yeah, so yeah. Uh, they're, it's, they're cruising through. But I will just say this. If none of this sounds interesting to you, you should still watch the first six minutes of this documentary because it is absolutely chilling uh, what happens in that six minutes. So okay. uh, go check out the first six minutes of Frontline, The Choice, this documentary about Donald Trump and, and Hillary Clinton uh, mm-hmm. because you will better, hopefully better understand what is at stake 
yeah. this election after watching it for six minutes. I have to say, I am looking forward to the uh, rich plethora of documentaries we're going to have after this election <laughs> of just hoping. like the insanity of the world right that, now. That would be like, good. I, I'm the sort of person that goes to docs and, uh, you know, movies to try to make sense of the world's insanity. And there's just so much like somebody going into the Trump campaign or the Clinton campaign right now. There's so much to dive into. Yeah, that's the only real solace in all of this is that yeah. you know you know that there is video being recorded mm-hmm. as we speak that we will get to enjoy later. <laughs> yes. Uh, yeah, assuming the country doesn't burn down in, into its ashes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I mean, we'll yeah. enjoy it on our little reel-to-reels in, in our fallout <laughs> shelters, but it will enjoy it nonetheless. Until yeah. the Back to the World 2 future happens, yeah. Uh, uh, yeah. I am uh, – If wins. I am looking forward to Game Change, you know, uh, right. ep- episode three. Uh, that yeah. should be fun. So uh, that's the political book based that like has mm-hmm. been written about the last few elections. Uh, all right, saw a few things on HBO. High maintenance. Uh, I was a huge fan of the Vimeo series, and this show blew me away. Mm-hmm. Uh, I recorded like a Periscope about it. You can follow me on Periscope at Dave Chensky, but uh, I won't say too much about it now. Uh, otherwise, uh, other than just to say that it is it is an amazing show. It does incredibly difficult things effortlessly, seemingly. And it's like nothing else you're seeing on TV right now. And you should mm-hmm. definitely watch it. Uh, and, you know, there are things I watch where I see, like, Mad Max Fury Road, and I'm like, that is amazing. Um, but, I, A, I could never do that. And, B, I don't know if I would ever want to do that. I don't know if I want to spend <laughs> – I don't know if I want to spend, like, six months in the desert filming car stunts. You know, like, don't you? Uh, like, I, I just don't know if it's in me. But when I right, watch a show right. like High Maintenance, when I, when I see – if – I, David Chen, ever end up having any kind of filmmaking or video making career uh, years from now, decades from now, if that ever happens, part of it is going to be because of shows like High Maintenance, where I watch uh-huh. that show and I'm like, that is what I want to make. I want mm-hmm. to make something like that. that gives you- it's doable without too much equipment, like in, you know, in, in an area, you don't have to travel to the middle of the desert. Right. And it gives you like insight this. into these subcultures that is totally fascinating and humanizing mm-hmm. and moving. Uh, and it's just like nothing else. So yeah, yeah, yeah. High maintenance on HBO, uh, spectacular show. And that first uh, episode will crush you. And uh, oh, I think it, it just caught me so completely by surprise. It is yeah. so, it is so confident. This show <laughs> is so confident in what it's trying to do. I'm ama- I'm I'm like taken aback by yeah. how confident it is. Yeah. Uh, and don't, episode don't watch it with your parents, as I said yeah. before. Yeah. But, episode uh, three. Episode three. You haven't seen episode three yet, right? Different not now. yet. Not okay. Yet. So that is. It's just. I'm not even going to give it away, but it's. It is. Heard, everyone has been tweeting and writing about yeah, it. Yeah. So it is I, an I incredible episode. That's like unlike anything else yeah. in television. So I have to say, like, if uh, if you see the show and you're like, oh, it's another girls or it's another one about like New York hipsters. Well, it sort of is, but it's also like very different too. So if you didn't like those shows, I think there's still a chance you may like this. Yeah. High maintenance. It's on HBO right now. And, of course, uh, Westworld, the yeah. biggest show on television. HBO is betting $100 million on this show. I might start a new podcast about this show um, just because, like, I really enjoyed the pilot. And Jeff Kanata, he hasn't seen the pilot yet, so we're not we're going to try not to spoil anything about it. But uh, overall thoughts, Devendra, do you like this show? I, uh, I really like the pilot. Uh, it doesn't feel as, I think, inherently crowd-pleasing as something like the Game of Thrones pilot was or the Sopranos pilot. It asks a lot of questions. It's very beautiful. And I like the, uh, the questions it's, like, bringing up. Yeah, about, I'm like, a- AI, about, like, the nature yeah. of humanity and about, yep. you know, what, what does it mean to want to torture and kill and have sex with AI? Like, 
does that make you a person? Does it make like does it make you a bad person? You know, like and, all these are all of... themes we've seen explored before. But I, you know, I like the writing on display here. Uh, all the actors I think are just doing great work. Evan Rachel Wood, who star, who basically stars in the show, she is fantastic. Like the stuff she has to do in some of these scenes, I basically like uh, good acting exercises. You know, yeah, uh, this this the acting exercises in the show are incredible. Obviously, the premise of the show involves this uh, world made up of replicants, basically, right? That that are, like, indistinguishable from humans. And all the stuff that features them in, like, diagnostic mode or uh, where you're kind of, like, exposing the seams of this world, I thought was just amazing. And Mm -hmm. uh, the acting is of the utmost high caliber. So, yeah. uh, yeah, and so, uh, it's I, I'm really fascinated by what they did with the Ed Harris character because in the movie, the original movie, you know, the Man in Black is a robot that's like part of the crew that's killing all the humans. It's very different in the show, but um, you know, very interesting seeing where it's going. Yeah, uh, so I'm psyched about the show. It, the you know, some TV critics have come out with fairly negative reviews after watching the first four episodes, so I'm quite worried mm-hmm. it's going to go downhill after the pilot, but. Uh, you know, I'm hoping a lot of people are saying like this could be the show that brings sci-fi to mainstream in the way that Game of Thrones brought fantasy to mainstream. I had Lost brought sci-fi to mainstream. Let's not let's not forget. Like Dave, I know you completely <laughs> missed out on the Lost phenomenon, but Lost brought sci-fi to mainstream. Come All on. right, well then it will it will you know do you're that thinking again. like maybe recreate Game of Thrones. I don't know about that. Like, yeah, what will it be as big as show? Game of Thrones? I don't think so, but. Yeah. It it, tick, it like like it tickles me because this is all the stuff I love as a geek and a technophile. But uh, yeah, normal people, uh, it's a little too obtuse, maybe. That being said, it did do pretty well. It got uh, three point three million viewers across its mm-hmm. first two airings uh, and streaming, uh, according to industry sources, and that's uh, about as good as uh, True Detective, which premiered three years ago, the first mm-hmm. season, uh, which was widely regarded as a success. Um, so uh, just to compare Game of Thrones debuted to 4.2 million viewers uh, but that was back in 2011 obviously its audience is way larger now so uh, could it be as big a Game of Thrones? I think it has a really good starting place and mm-hmm. we'll see uh, I'm planning on watching the rest of the season and possibly podcasting about it so that's Westworld it's on HBO Devendra and I both like the pilot and uh, we'll probably tell you what happens after the season's over to give you a little wrap-up. I'm also doing probably Periscope like after-show reactions, so uh, follow me there if uh, you want to uh, see my reactions to each episode. Devendra Hardwar, what have you been watching? Uh, a couple things. Uh, I saw The Wailing, which is a Korean horror film. Uh, it's about a small village where crazy things are happening. Basically, people are going insane and just like going psycho and starting to murder each other and just doing weird things. And it's about the uh, police force trying to try to figure out this mystery, basically. And uh, as with many South Korean films, uh, the police don't don't look so good. <laughs> I I really don't think that country thinks much of their uh, police force. So you're following an incompetent uh, detective who's basically trying to save his family and save his village. Um, it's a really creepy, interesting film. It's by um, uh, Hong Jin-na, who did The Chaser a couple years ago which we loved yeah um, great film great I, film yeah he's a really stylish director uh i love the sense of place here because it takes place in just a small korean town that's not near any major cities or anything and it is genuinely creepy uh it's not a very scary movie though i remember when the uh limited release was happening a lot of people were talking about how terrifying this movie was i don't actually think it's that scary um it's just more creepy, and I wish uh, the ending – this is a long movie. It's two and a half hours. I wish the ending kind of 
I don't know, elevated it a little more because it almost seems like it gets to a certain point and it just ends. Uh, so kind of disappointed me there, but I'm looking forward to rewatching it and maybe, you know, seeing if I missed anything. Uh, definitely worth a watch. That's The Wailing. It's a South Korean horror film. I've heard great things about it. What else have you been watching, mm-hmm. Devendra? Uh, a couple things on Crunchyroll, which is uh, the anime and, uh, you know, Japanese uh, live action uh, streaming service. Uh, a couple of things I just want to highlight. I've been binging Food Wars, which is an anime show about a high school kid who goes to school where he's it's a cooking school where he's just learning to cook. And as with so much anime, it's all about competition and everybody fighting to like make the best recipes. Uh, I love competition anime. Uh, one of my favorites from a couple of years ago was Yakatate Japan, which was about people just making bread. That was the entire show. And uh, it was fascinating and really fun to watch. Food Wars, I think, is just as fun. Uh, it's really popular, too. So uh, if you haven't checked it out yet... Must bake! There you go. There you go. Just like that. Dragon Uh, Balls. Food Wars, fantastic. Uh, Two seasons are on Crunchyroll right now. And uh, Thunderbolt Fantasy. Have you guys heard of this show? No. No. So this is a Japanese, Taiwanese production. It is a puppet show, but it's also a martial arts show. It's also like a magic show. This show is insane, guys. If you take, like, Final Fantasy, like a Final Fantasy fight, and you want to see it in, like, a choreographed, in a, you know, in a cinematic style, that's basically what this show does. It's a, it's, it's a giant wuxia battle of, you know, good guys versus bad guys, big fights all over the place, swords with special names and whatnot, lots of special effects. But it looks amazing, and it's made entirely with puppets. Uh, you at least check out the first episode because this thing does some crazy stuff. And actually, I wish, I I honestly wish more like martial arts movies were like this and this ambitious because this just hits all the things I love. You know, uh, crazy powerful people, great choreography. I don't know how they do some of this stuff with puppets. It's insane. And uh, there's puppets plus special effects too, so it looks really cool. And uh, yeah, it's a pretty typical story of like yeah. Um, I think royal siblings who are being hunted down by these evil sorcerers. And uh, it's a lot of things you've seen in RPGs and anime and uh, martial arts films before, but this looks just so different and it's so unique. Uh, definitely worth checking out. You've sold It's really cool. Yeah. So it's amazing. Tell me, about, tell me about Crunchyroll. Is it something I have to subscribe to? And yes, pay money for? it is an anime subscription service. If you, uh, if you're into it or if you just want to try, I think they have like a subscription thing, uh, but it's worth trying out because there's so much good content out there that you can't get on Hulu or Netflix or anything else. Yeah. $7 a month looks like. Um, mm-hmm. okay. so yeah, so uh, that's Thunderbolt Fantasy, and also you talked about Food Wars available on Crunchyroll. And if you're an anime fan, you should subscribe to Crunchyroll and uh, check those things out. How about you, Jeff Kanata? What have you been watching? Well, uh, checked out a few pilots, or not pilots, but the new false shows, I should say. Um, and as you, if you've listened to the show, you know that uh, I am a huge fan of Parenthood. And I would say before that, it was Friday Night Lights. Like those were my like good people doing good things show. Like grounded. Oh, I know what you're talking about now. Yeah. Yeah. Family, positive, just made me feel good. I wanted to hang out with those people. And it's because they're good people doing good salt of the earth people, you know? Families. And and the challenges weren't external, they were internal. They were it was all like just how, how life is hard and you gotta make make the best of it. So I loved that about those shows. I was hoping for a new one. I'm, I'm without – there's a hole in my life 
where a show that <laughs> is that shape and size needs to fit. Yeah. And I was hoping that NBC's This Is Us might fill that hole. It certainly seemed to be marketed in the same way. It felt like this feel good, you know, these are humans. These are these are grounded stories. These are people that you're going to love and relate to and feel something for and it's all about them trying to do good. Um, and it totally delivered on expectations, right, Jeff? That's <laughs> yeah. basically what your tone leads me it's to believe. It's a tearjerker. It's certainly yeah. a tearjerker. Yeah. So two episodes in, um, it's no, it's no Parenthood, and it's no <laughs> Friday Night Lights so far. I really wanted to like my wife and I both. We wanted to like this show. We need this 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 hole filled in our lives of that show, like that place. And so far, yes. Um, you know, it, it's really trying hard to, to jerk your tears and it is really trying hard to be sentimental and and make you care about these people. And interestingly, both of the first two episodes have ended with like a twist, a weird yeah. sort of strange twist out of nowhere. Uh, the first one I thought was pretty clever and I was like, oh, that's an interesting way this show is going to be structured. Second one is like, oh, what? That's – no, I don't feel good about that. That's weird. <laughs> um but overall, the problem with this show is that it doesn't it doesn't feel as organic as either of the two shows I've mentioned. It, that I don't know if it's casting or if it's writing or if it's just some sort of uh, ephemeral something that's missing. But none of the people feel like real people. None of the issues, you know, it, it does these lovely little monologues that characters get where they they get deep and they get introspective and they get, and, and they're really kind of lovely sentiments. Mm-hmm. Each of the episodes so far has that moment. And it, you feel like, God, I just want this show to succeed, but it, it doesn't and never lands quite right. It always feels like it's trying so hard to get there rather than just arriving there because you like the characters and you want to be around them. Everything feels very contrived and, None of the characters feel like real people yet, and maybe that will happen, but I'm having a hard time giving it more chances than these first two. So Yeah, I, I saw the first episode. I'm kind of right there with you, Jeff. What's interesting about this show is that uh, it was created by Dan Fogelman. I don't know if you guys have been paying attention, but this guy has sort of taken over TV. <laughs> it's really weird. Like He also did Pitch. On yeah. Fox, which is a show about the uh, first female uh, pitcher in Major League Baseball, it's actually pretty good. Um, something I'll talk about more later, I think. But he did a couple. He did Gallivant a couple years right. like last year. Um, he's done a bunch of shows, and uh, I, you know, it's interesting to see how like these TV producers rise and fall. And this guy's on the up. I just wish uh, something like this is us. Like it has Sterling K. Brown, fresh off of uh, the OJ, you know, show, and it is he's great. It's just a show around him isn't. Yeah. Uh, so that's This Is Us and uh, Jeff Kanata, what else have you been watching? I also checked out the first couple of episodes of Son of Zorn, which is the Miller and Lord executive produced show that it's – I mean it's a mashup of, of the things I imagined in my childhood, right? It's as if – what if He-Man lived in the real world and had a son <laughs> with a human woman and, and then sort of was a deadbeat dad, you know? Uh, so it's it's really clever mix of hand drawn like eighties style cartoon animation with live action actors and uh, I'm really digging it. It's really funny and cool. irreverent and it, it does a, a wonderful. It's a wonderful mashup of those Saturday morning eighties cartoons that I love uh, and sort of irreverent humor. And I think it. I, I'm really digging it. 
Yeah, that's something I'm looking forward to. Yeah, it's fun. So that's Son, yeah, but, of, Son of Zorn, right? Mm-hmm. Is the name yeah. of the show. And, yeah, and uh, I can watch Tim Meadows deadpan all day long. <laughs> like that dude oh, man. is so good at like he, the character he's playing is perfect Tim Meadows. It's like this dude who has like a quiet dignity but kind of knows he's ridiculous and just mm-hmm. will just stand there and smile and be like, no, I know I'm being made fun of and that's okay. It's, <laughs> that was it's, pretty much him in Popstar too. Yeah, yeah exactly. Fantastic. Did, have you guys seen Luke Cage yet? No, but I've heard great, great things about it. What is I, – I forgot to put this on my list, but guys, get get on the ball Okay, here. here's my question about Luke Cage. Yeah. Here's my question Wait. about Luke Cage. I've heard – firstly, I've heard this show was so popular it brought down Netflix. Probably. Uh, and, it was down for two hours on Saturday. Yeah. yeah. And uh, my question is I have not seen more than like three episodes of Daredevil and I what? haven't seen any of Jessica Jones – Wait, what? Didn't we talk <laughs> about those shows on this very show? We, I, di- I didn't say anything about them. Um, but, uh, You're deceptively quiet sometimes, Dave. <laughs> yeah, so, so that's the first time anyone's ever what, said that wait, about Wait, wait, how did so – it the, is my, the year 2016. So my question is, like, is David Chen. It, do I need to have watched those shows before I watch You don't kids? necessarily need to. Like, uh, um, some char- like uh, Rosario some characters, Dawson's character yeah. is the same, She right? shows up. She's yeah. been in all three shows. You don't need to – like, she references some things that happen. You don't need to. Like, that, that's ultimately it. If for some reason you're a crazy person <laughs> who has not – like, I can understand, like, seeing some of Daredevil and, like, not finishing up or something. And same with Jessica Jones. I, I don't know what you're doing right now, Dave, <laughs> with your time, with your life. Uh, this show is fantastic. Just great energy, uh, great action, too. But I think what's uh, what's really interesting about it, just like Jessica Jones, is that it's more than just a superhero show. This is a show about you know the experience of you know black Americans. This is a show about Harlem and kind of that neighborhood and what's making it tick. And I love the way it balances sort of the supernatural, the superhero stuff uh, with the greater issues facing, you know, black Americans today. And what I love about it, too, is that this is a show you can feel that this show doesn't it, it's not like anything else right now. From the music to the vibe to the way people talk, it opens up in a scene in a barber shop. Uh, where people are just arguing about like basketball and video games and things like that, it feels so lived in and so real. So I think that's partially why it's taken off so much, um, just because it's you know showing showing a lot of people who aren't as represented, especially in Marvel things. So that's probably a big part of it too. Um, but yeah, it does a good job there. Uh, I'm about eight episodes in. It's beginning to exhibit some of the problems we saw with both Daredevil and Jessica Jones in that they try to string out a lot of plot for a very long time. Uh, they try to string it out for, what, 12 or 13 episodes rather than maybe 10. Uh, but at the same time, it's so much fun. Uh, guys, guys, get on this. Mike Coulter, he's a movie star. <laughs> no excuse. Make I your family watch, watch Luke Cage. I meant uh, to. Mike Coulter, like two days, Devendra. <laughs> yeah. Mike Coulter is a movie star in the making. Uh, he was in The Good Wife. He's been in a couple TV shows before, but the cast, like through and through, in the show is fantastic. Uh, just, just watch it, guys. The music, the music, the vibe, the tone, everything about this is so damn good. Um, and, you know, it's what's amazing to me is like they give so much leeway to this, right? There's so much violence in this. Uh, people say the N word freely because that's something people do. And it's kind of amazing, like what uh, Marvel and Disney are allowing into the show. 
but I'm I'm I, like five or ten years ago, I wouldn't think that this is something that could have gotten made in the Marvel universe. So it's just kind of amazing to see. Uh, definitely worth watching. But Dave, come on, Daredevil. Daredevil is like everything you love. Jessica Jones, you should definitely see at some point too. All right. I have to admit, I was a little disappointed with Jessica Jones. But... Yeah, it it does not end well. It again, like they just they go on for too long. But I think what works well, seeing like the villain in that show is so good. Like seeing the dynamic and like how that show was built up. Uh, I just like all these different ways of approaching superhero stories. They don't all have to be the cookie cutter Marvel movie, basically. Yeah. All right. I agree. Well, that's Luke Cage. It's on uh, Netflix right now. Jeff Kanata, you know, you were mentioning the show Son of Zorn, right, on Fox about uh, this uh, He-Man who's like a deadbeat dad, right? Is that yeah. what you said? Yeah. So, mm-hmm. like, uh, what does that mean to be a deadbeat dad in, in the context of the show? He was an absentee. He, 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 you know, they got a divorce. He went back to Zephyria and he <laughs> uh, was fighting and, and, and uh, conquering lands and his son was raised by the single mom in, in a real world in Orange County in L.A. <laughs> the son also animated. Yeah. No, every um, he is the Zephyrians are animated, and Zorn is animated. No one Does else. Does the sun get animated if he goes to Zephyria? Mm. Uh, maybe I don't know. That hasn't happened. Oh, that hasn't happened yet. Yeah. But uh, the you know he like has to get an actual job. He he wants to he wants to sort of make up for lost time. So he decides he's going to put down little roots in in uh, Orange County, and so he actually get a real job. And so and everyone treats him as if there's nothing weird about him you know mm-hmm. it's and, and that's what i think the the coolest thing about the show is that it's no one it, this is just a thing you know it's obviously there's this guy who's animated and nobody bats an eye about it it's, it's just like one of the things in this world that's normal um very funny yeah you know being a debbie dad jeff i'm the only one that remembers the beatles Hello, I'm Guy Garvey. Richard Curtis and Danny Boyle have joined forces for yesterday. We got them together to talk filmmaking. I always saw Trainspotting just as the Northern Four Weddings. Music. These songs were part of us. And a world without the Beatles. A world without the Beatles would be infinitely worse. The Yesterday Podcast, available from wherever you get your podcasts. Yesterday. Why did you write that? I didn't write it. Paul McCartney wrote it. The Beatles. Who? I don't think I could ever do something like that uh, because I'd probably lose too much sleep. Oh, that's where we were going. <laughs> yeah. I really, I, mean, I really didn't need to make that long of an answer. No, that's where we were going. But it's okay, Jeff. It's uh-huh. okay. You put me to sleep with that answer, Jeff. Uh, uh, yeah. yeah, I mean, I, I would lose too much sleep and uh, I need my shut eye. And this is something mm. that you're experiencing now, too, as a new dad. Oh, yes. Uh, sleep is so important. You well, know? it's hard. The hardest thing about it is is how uncomfortable you tend to be when you finally get those those last couple of hours when your 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 son finally goes off to dreamland and you like you go okay, well at least I can lay down on this. Oh, oh I'm on an uncomfortable mattress. Oh. And- it's the worst, that and then you can't awful. sleep at all. That sounds awful. Uh, well, yeah, I think but- there's a solution, and they're the sponsor of our podcast this week. That's Casper. Casper is a sleep brand that has created one perfect mattress sold directly to consumers, eliminating commission-driven inflated prices. So these prices, guys, they're pretty good. Like a Casper mattress is not only super comfortable, but it is inexpensive. Most mattresses can cost well over $1,500, but Casper mattresses cost $500. Mm-hmm. For a twin size mattress, going up to nine fifty for a king. Now I have to say these are grown up mattresses. These aren't just the IKEA 
like little <laughs> full futon type things. These are right. real mattresses. Yes. Yes. Agreed. Uh, and so, you, you know, Devinder, you mentioned IKEA. Shopping for a mattress at any store yep. can be a pain in the ass. You got to go there. You got to drive there. You got to schlep down there. Uh, and then you got to lie down on a bunch of mattresses. You don't know. You don't know if you're like from three minutes of lying down if that's a good mattress. You don't know who the last person is who laid down <laughs> yeah. in that mattress. That's you know great. what they yeah. say. You know what they say. You lie down on a mattress, and you're lying down with everyone who has ever <laughs> lied down on that mattress. This I is think, true. I think I've never watched the mattress. That sounds familiar. Yeah. Uh, well, guys, Casper is risk free. Uh, hmm. Because not only do they offer free delivery, it comes in this neat box that you just cut open, and the mattress inflates, and and you can use it, you know, shortly after. But not only that, you uh, you get a 100 night home trial, so you can try it out, try before you buy, uh, and make sure that this is something you want, which is not a uh, opportunity that you get in the store. So you got uh, a super comfortable mattress; it's affordable and risk free. Uh, I, I feel like there's no reasons why you shouldn't at least give this a shot, guys. Yeah. I guess maybe only if you're a deadbeat dad. That's, That's right. That's really the only reason I can think That's of. That's right. And, you know, <laughs> and you don't care about sleep. Um, yeah. Casper.com slash filmcast. Use promo code filmcast. Get $50 towards your mattress purchase. Uh, again, that's free. T- tons of uh, benefits to shopping with Casper. Free shipping and returns to the U.S. and Canada. 100 nights risk-free in your home. Uh, and uh, it's a- an obsessively engineered mattress at a shockingly fair price. Casper.com slash filmcast. Use promo code filmcast. Terms and conditions apply. Thanks to Casper for sponsoring us this week on the slash filmcast. Let's get to our review of Deepwater Horizon. How's it going? Honey, show that in. done. You did such a good job. Showtime. You can use your props. My dad is Mike. He works on a drilling rig that pumps oil out from underneath the ocean. And we're the explorers. Like Dora. Like Dora. That oil is a monster. Like the mean old dinosaurs all that oil used to be. So for 300 million years, these old dinosaurs have been getting squeezed tighter and tighter and tighter. We get it. Just use two tighters. Then Dad and his friends make a hole in their roof. Yeah. And these mean old dinosaurs can't believe it. Free it up. So they rush to the new hole. Then smack. They run into this stuff called mud. That they cram down the straw. Hold the monsters down, we build them a new one. Yeah! Yeah! That was amazing. Oh, yeah. You're getting so heavy. Stay ten forever, please. That was from the trailer of Deepwater Horizon, the new <laughs> film by director Peter Berg, uh, and it stars Mark Wahlberg and Kurt Russell. Now, I'm going to just put this out there. We're going to spoil elements of real life. Uh, so if you don't know what happened with the Deepwater Horizon disaster, which was just like a few years ago. It was not that long ago. <laughs> it was like in April 2010. You know, uh, somebody may have been in cryosleep. You don't know. Yeah, so if you sure don't, don't want to know. know what happened to the Deepwater Horizon, like, you know, just skip this review, come back after you've read about it <laughs> uh, and or seen the film. So we're going to spoil elements of real life. Maybe we'll have a spoiler section for the movie. We'll see. Uh, I'll read the plot summary from IMDb. A story set on the offshore drilling rig of Deepwater Horizon, which exploded during April 2010 and created the worst oil spill in U.S. history. Now, I listened to the Peter Berg interview in Fresh Air, and uh, he discussed why it was that he wanted to make this film. And I, I thought it was very compelling, kind of moving. When people first heard about the Deepwater Horizon fiasco, 
they heard that uh, a bunch of people died, you know, uh, on the uh, oil rig. And uh, when he, Peter Berg, heard people talk about it, it was dismissively, right? Like, oh, these mm-hmm. people died, but they died drilling, uh, you know, for oil in, in one of the hugest disasters in U.S. history. So who cares? Like, they were, they were perpetrating this horrible thing that happened. Uh, but what, what Peter Berg read was these people who died died trying to prevent the oil spill from happening. Mm-hmm. You know, like they they died trying to save people's lives. They died doing normal everyday acts of heroism. And these are people just doing their jobs. People too. just doing their yeah. jobs. People just yeah. doing their jobs. And so one of the reasons you want to make this movie was to do honor to those people, right? So my question for you, Jeff Kanata, is: Do you feel like the film honors those whose lives were lost? Um, trying to stop this explosion from happening. Certainly. Yeah, I do. Um, I think it goes to great pains to do that. Uh, I don't know how spoilery we want to get, but there are definitely moments. I mean, my, I, think, I think if I had to pick my favorite actor in, in the, the world, world right? it, would be, it, it would probably be Kurt Russell mm-hmm. at this yeah. point. Oh, yeah. To have Kurt Russell yelling out the names of the fallen men in this movie, which is what happens at, at you know a certain point, it's it it, it, it was stirring to me. Mm-hmm. It was moving, uh, and then there's even it goes even further at the end, giving a moment to the real pictures of all the real people that that lost their lives that day. So I mean, this movie I think takes that responsibility on itself and 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 really tries to honor them and make a big deal about about the everyday sacrifices that. Yeah, so so I think in terms of accomplishing that mission, Deepwater Horizon certainly succeeds. But overall, as a film, Devinder Harder, what did you think of the movie? Did, like, did you enjoy the process <laughs> of watching this film? How did you feel about it? At the this end? is a hard movie to enjoy. I it guess, is really hard to enjoy. It's yeah. essentially a disaster movie, uh, and it's a real life disaster movie too. So I always feel a little icky about trying to, uh, I don't know, publicize that or trying to right. kind it, of it's make money off of that. Yeah, it's, they're yeah. making money. They're making entertainment off yeah. of a real life disaster where people died. Right. So yeah, that I had that part of me going in. Uh, but Peter Berg is kind of an interesting director. You know, there's the Peter Berg who makes movies like uh, Battleship. Uh, and Hancock, which are big budget things that weren't well regarded, but uh, Peter Berg was also the guy that you know brought Friday Night Lights to the theaters and also like kickstarted the show. Like he developed the style of the show, and you know he had the rights to it and everything. So like that show wouldn't exist without him. Uh, and he's done great movies too, like The Kingdom, which we reviewed back uh, back when that, or I think close to when that was released, or we talked yeah. about it. Yeah. And on Survivor, which I think is a messy kind of patriotic movie, he has that tendency, and I think you're seeing all that here. Um, but to me, this is a movie about just people doing their jobs, and that's something that Peter Berg has always been interested in, and um, I, I just like seeing how he explores that. You know, it's normal blue-collar workers. Their job just happens to be in the middle of the ocean, and they have to clock out and not see their family for a couple months and, like, live on this thing that could explode at any moment. And um, 
I think it conveys that idea really well, that these were just people who were trying to, you know, earn a living and something insane happened and there were definitely good guys and bad guys. This isn't like a morally gray thing, I think, too much. The BP representatives are clearly the villains, especially John Maklovich's character. Um, yeah, I don't know how much of that reflected real life. Uh, I know BP is definitely mostly at fault for all this. I just don't know the actual characters that they uh, introduced in the movie, how closely they mimic real life. Um, in terms of like showing us these characters, making us emotionally involved with them, and then seeing this disaster like just happen step by step, it's a visceral moment. But it to me, it actually gives me like a deeper understanding of this event too, assuming they didn't like take too many narrative leaps. Um, but yeah, I like the actors. I like the writing, uh, Mark Wahlberg, Kurt Russell, fantastic. Like this is a movie, Mark Wahlberg, you know, th- this is the kind of good Mark Wahlberg movie I dig. And also Gina Rodriguez from Jane, the Virgin, uh, who plays an engineer in this. She is fantastic too. Um, just like a great cast all around John Malkovich. Like, even though he is there and he's like the sniveling villain, he's also really good at being the sniveling villain, like somebody you just want to punch in the face uh, as soon yeah, as you see him. I, I, I don't know how I feel about the John Malkovich accent. <laughs> I mean, it's... I don't know what he's, he's doing there. So, yeah, I, if you guys... It's Foghorn sorry, Leghorn, basically. you guys see Rounders? Yeah. The movie yeah. Rounders? You yeah. know, John Malkovich's Russian accent in that movie? Yes. He's basically doing the Cajun equivalent of that in this movie. That it's is to sort say, of like Foghorn Leghorn-y, yeah, too. It's like wildly it's, implausible, and yet it is... I want to com- punch it. it I want to punch that face. Yeah, it's mesmerizing. punch that accent. It's mesmerizing. Like I can't yeah. look away from what he's doing because yeah. it is completely fascinating. Yeah. But I don't think it's a good accent. <laughs> you know, I never, well, I, I, I never believed it for one second. Yeah. yeah, I liked what he was doing there. But yeah, he's basically a villain showing on the scenery. Uh, I think he's doing a James Carville impression. <laughs> yes, that that sounds about right. Uh, my only real issues with this movie are like some of the things it does at the end, like the way it brings in the real people. I I don't know if that's necessarily helpful or if it's overly manipulative or what uh he's not trying to make a documentary so and it's not like he has to like obey journalistic integrity or anything it's just it feels weird and that to me felt a little more manipulative than maybe some aspects of the film jeff canada overall thoughts on Deepwater horizon i loved it i really did i i thought it was phenomenal i had a unique experience seeing it uh, as i mentioned my i've had family in town my dad was here and I had to go see this, and we thought it was a good opportunity to get out of the house. So he and That's I went to see it. a great dad movie. Yeah. yeah great, great dad, dad movie. movie. Well, in particular, my dad is a structural engineer. Oh, okay. And retired, obviously. But uh, he has – you know, he's never been in an extreme situation like this. But he's certainly a blue-collar guy mm-hmm. who has – you know, there's a moment in this movie where they go and they start up uh, auxiliary power on a, on a yep. generator. And my dad's like, oh, I've done that exact thing with that exact generator. Like he's, he, he was telling me about that they started it correctly in the movie <laughs> uh, because he, he's seen it and done it. And, and uh, you know, he – it was awesome walking out of that movie hearing stories about all the crazy things my dad has built and been part of building and these incredible um, uh, oil derricks that they did in Alaska that my dad helped build here and then they moved. Anyway – it was a neat experience because it is such a blue collar movie and mm-hmm. it is it is as hollywood as it sometimes gets i think it never feels hollywood like there are a few moments that in retrospect i i think on and say oh well that clearly did not happen in real life and they clearly <laughs> did that put that in there to make mark wahlberg the heroic movie star moment but it's okay because the the way the movie feels is mm-hmm. so grounded 
and work a day and, you know, authentic feeling. And that goes a long way to making this kind of movie palatable. I mean, the movie starts with, uh, you know, your typical sort of family situation. And then it has this ridiculous exposition by a six-year-old about how (laughs) – and I was like, oh, no, this movie's going to be terrible. Look at the foreshadowing. Look at it. (laughs) Yeah. It was so awful. And and I was so worried about it. But literally everything else that happens in the movie couldn't be, in my opinion, less like that. It's all so – so thrown away and so uh, authentic feeling and you get a sense of the lives of these guys on this thing. And also there's a sense of the scale and scope of human ingenuity. Like yeah, yeah. we as a, we as human beings created this thing. It's incredible a, a achievement to make this floating boat. It's literally a, a vessel on the water that can go out that far into the into the sea and dr- drill that deeply into the Earth's crust from that point. It's an extraordinary structure. Just looking at it, just marveling at the the thing that we as humans achieved, the, and the movie kind of revels in that at the, in the early moments of like, what this thing is amazing. And then the steps uh, of of the breakdown and how all that plays out. I mean. There were sequences where I felt like I wasn't breathing, you know, and, and yeah. you know how it's all going to play out. But very similarly to to my review a few weeks ago of uh, Sully, like just seeing a matter of fact representation of the step by step moment to moment of something like that, of an extraordinary situation like that happening is enough. You don't it doesn't have to be a disaster film. And Devendra, you rightly pointed out this is a disaster movie, but mm-hmm. You know, you think of something like 2012 where you have John Cusack outrunning a, a earthquake, earthquake driving yeah. a limousine, right? Uh, that is ridiculous and cartoony and you write that into a movie because you want to create some sense of dramatic intensity. You know, you want the rock to swing his helicopter over the crumbling building the moment the woman falls. But when you try to create a more truthful sort of authentic grounded representation of something that actually went wrong going wrong it's way more intense and it's way more powerful because you get the sense of how real this could be and how you might be in that situation and the the underspoken heroism of being in that moment and just trying to do your job mm-hmm. and and I think this movie thrives on that and does an excellent job of of conveying that those simple moments of heroism. And yes, there are a few, you know, leap off the thing or, you know, go and operate the crane at the last moment that probably didn't happen and and probably didn't even need to be in the movie. But so much of the movie isn't that. And and the, the tone overall is so effective that those don't mar the experience for me. The other thing I want to mention too is the special effects in this movie are really good. Never at any point did I feel like anything was an effect. And there is shit hitting the fan in this movie. And it all feels so real. And all every explosion feels like it was really happening right there next to the actor. And there are sequences that I walked out of this movie thinking, how did they even shoot that? <laughs> you know, when the oil is erupting and knocking people around and covering everything. Like, right. how, do, how do you even technically achieve that? Yeah, it's yeah, yeah. it's a very powerful movie that I really it liked a lot more than I expected to. Here's what I'm going to say as well about the the CG and, and the visual effects is that 
I thought they did a really great job of telling the story of what's actually going on with the rupture without right. using that many words. I mean, yeah. The, yeah. sometimes, you know, with the, all the stuff with the BP and, and those people, like, I did feel some of that was a little bit heavy-handed. Like, mm-hmm. you guys just want a dollar. You All yeah. you care about is money. You know, it's and like, there's okay. There's a lot of text on the screen sometimes, too, like explaining specific yeah. things and what's happening. Yeah. But after the quote-unquote action starts, and it kind of makes me feel gross to even describe this as an action movie because, you know, people died. Uh, in real life, but just forgive me for using that terminology for now. Um, when the action starts and all the stuff going on with the oil and uh, the ways they try to stop it and all this stuff, they don't actually really say that much. They just show it through visuals and you just get what is happening, right? They don't, they don't need to explain it to death. Um, and I really appreciated that about the film. It, it's difficult to do with visual effects, uh, but I think they found the right mix of visual practical effects and exposition to convey all this stuff to you and uh, I thought that was like really well done mm-hmm. uh, I think once the action starts uh, the the movie is incredibly thrilling uh, and like you guys said step by step showing you exactly how they tried to solve it exactly what went wrong uh, it, it feels real it feels authentic and it is just a pulse pounding incredible tense experience uh, that I think is you know, really, really impressive. Certainly, I enjoyed this movie a lot more than Sully. I mean, Jeff, it sounds like you like this movie equally as, as that film. Oh, I, I liked it more than Sully, for yeah. sure. I'm just equating the, sort of the same kinds of things I said about Sully in, those, in that plane s- sequence. When you just sort of see it matter-of-factly presented and people are just doing their jobs efficiently and following their training and, like, it, it's, it doesn't need to be, um, you know, it doesn't need to be indi- – or um, um, yeah, you don't need to like if artificially insert events in it to yeah, make Yeah, there doesn't need throw. to be an inflated sense of heroism because the simple heroism is so much more powerful. I think the thing with Sully is that was a, you know, 20 to 30 minute event that uh like in real time it only took like 20 to 30 minutes right. and then uh once it's over, it's over. This is a thing that took probably what seems like hours and there were many stages of the disaster. You know, it's right. like it starts off like this, you know, X, X goes wrong and then Y goes wrong and then Z goes wrong. And at every step of the way, they're trying to prevent. So just like from a plot structure, and I know we're talking about real life events in both instances, mm-hmm. but from a plot structure perspective, this movie is inherently more thrilling. Um, I do. Think, oh, I do. I agree 100 percent. I mean, I think yeah. this movie is on a grander scale. It is. It's it's better executed on every level than yeah. than. Sully, but I was just equating that things I said in that review, I think, are, apply here, too. Yeah. Uh, I think in terms of what the movie does wrong, I would say that, like, it's kind of sucks to see Kate Hudson reduced to the exactly same, you know, crying wife character that Laura Linney was in Sully, and which, like, tons of other characters have been mm-hmm. reduced. Tons of other Captain incredibly Phillips, talented... same thing. Yeah, yeah. tons of other... Woman incredibly... at the end of the line. Woman at the yeah. end of the line. A... Um, a phenomenon that has become so common that Amy Schumer actually did a sketch satirizing this very phenomenon that Laura Linney was in. Uh, she was actually in that sketch, so it's crazy that like. And I, I actually almost thought Kate Hudson was in it, in which case this that sketch could be th- slowly coming true. But in fact, she wasn't. It was like Maggie Gyllenhaal and mm-hmm. um, Julianne Moore and a couple of other really talented sure, people. But I'm sure Laura Linney understands. But Laura Linney got to make that money. You know, yeah. like she's going to take the the job of the yeah, woman like, on the other line. Yeah, but here's, she understands. Here's five hundred thousand dollars. You know, yeah. to be on the other end of the phone line while 
uh, you know, Tom she, Hanks has a nervous breakdown. You know, like yeah, I mean, you, and it's not. You know, I'm sure it's not <laughs> no mystery to her that that's a bad part. But she'll you know cash that check. I'm sure. Right. So it, I, I do wish that. Uh, these movies had more for these uh, mm-hmm. female actors to do than just be on the other end of the phone line. Okay, yeah. Of course, again, like you said, there are um, Gina, like Gina Rodriguez. Like Gina Rodriguez is fantastic. She like does it, have a she does have a significant mm-hmm. role in the film, and she does get it's to a, stretch her acting mm-hmm. skills a little bit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And she's the person like piloting the ship too. She's not just somebody reacting. And I like once the shit hits the fan, like she is trying to do the smart things to stop it. And the dude is just like mansplaining oh, yeah, that, okay, and man blocking her. Yeah, like, so come on, dude. let's just say, I mean, we're we're probably into spoilers at this point already. So yeah. you know, like whatever. But I, I think probably the most powerful moment in the film for me mm-hmm. was when she tries to yeah uh, cut off the the pipe. Right, the thing causing all this madness. Let's just turn that off. No. And uh, her superior is so paralyzed by institutional uh, demands that he says, like, you do not have the authority to do this. Uh, which you know, on some level, makes sense because uh, if they do it incorrectly, they'll get into huge trouble. Of course, at that point, he didn't understand the extent of the disaster. Um, yeah, he also totally like he yelled at her for even like calling in uh, what an SOS or right, right. an emergency, yeah, like yeah. when it was clearly a big problem. Mayday. Yeah, yeah, Mayday. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and then of course later they try to actually cut off the pipe and it doesn't actually do anything. Probably because um, it was too late, guys. <laughs> so. But that was probably the most powerful moment, like such yeah. a such a conflict yeah. between like humanity and also the institutions that we've set up. You know, like it felt mm-hmm. very like the wire to me when he tries to stop her from cutting off the pipe. Very powerful moment. That was kind of a bummer. The other thing uh, that, other than crying wife syndrome, that was uh, that I thought was given short shrift was just kind of a deeper explanation of how horrible this accident actually was. You know, it cut, they, yeah. there's a like one sentence description of like it was the worst disaster in U.S. history. But yeah, I mean, it's it's hard to remember sometimes that like this was a huge catastrophe uh, in the Gulf. Two hundred ten million barrels of oil into the Gulf. Yeah, it, it's it, unbelievable, and crazy, and uh, yeah, like this movie isn't focusing on that but uh it would have been i guess nice to give a little bit more of a head nod to how much uh destruction this uh, disaster yeah. wrought upon our environment yeah. um but i also think it does a good job of not being too jingoistic you know uh, there there are like, a few... like peter berg's other film uh, lone survivor which is like yeah qu- like or... i would say is like much more objectionable than this film yeah yeah i mean th- there are a few uh majestic shots of the american flag but i don't I, it never felt um too egregious to me it never it never felt like a, a i i didn't feel like they were playing on those heartstrings particularly um and it very funny thing though i don't know if you guys noticed this that as i was oh you guys probably didn't because you probably didn't go to a r- real screening but as i sat down for the uh patriotic peterberg mark Wahlberg movie about the real life disaster yep. Yeah. Uh, there was a trailer for the patriotic Peter Berg, Mark Wahlberg movie about the real life disaster. What? Um, yeah. So I heard about this movie that this movie would have a trailer right uh, yeah. in front of of Deepwater Horizon. So the movie is called Patriot Day, right? Yeah. It's uh, about the Boston bombings. Oh, okay. I, I didn't know what it was, but yeah, Patriot. And it's literally Patriot the same. Day. Yeah. Yeah, it's like how did they have time to make both of these movies? Yeah, that movie is coming out in December of this year. What? Man. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, uh, I understand casting Mark Wahlberg in your Boston movie, but yeah. 
uh, it just felt like Peter Berg is just making a career like mm-hmm. showing us our our tragedies. Yeah, it's like basically <laughs> doc, yeah. docudramas, right? Yeah, that's yes. what it is. Yeah, and that's his style too. Like he has a very documentary style with his shaky cam and stuff. You know, as much as I like Waldberg, like during the actual disaster parts, I don't. He didn't really pull off the coming home crying, you know, on your hotel room type thing. Like I'm thinking of like Tom <laughs> Hanks and Captain Phillips right. where that breakdown still gets to me. I think about that moment all the time. I thought it was beautifully shot though, the way mm-hmm. that yeah. sort of silent moments where he comes in and is accosted by the father and that whole sequence I thought was really powerful. And I think Peter Burke can direct the hell out of a movie, man. It, it, it just, um, the whole thing just felt very powerful. Yeah. All right, guys. Well, those are our thoughts on Deepwater Horizon. I think overall we had a positive impression of the movie. I don't know if it's a movie I would recommend you go see just because uh, I I feel weird and kind of icky, you know, when I see a movie like this because it's like I'm being thrilled by real-life people dying. you know? I wouldn't describe the sensation I walked away from as thrilled. It was, but during, it was more... Yeah, but during the actual disaster, I feel like the movie is kind yeah. of going for thrills. That's no, me. No, I, I, felt, I felt a deep sense of empathy for the people involved. I, oh, I really, oh, for sure. Yeah, I don't, I don't think no, there I don't is think that's empathy. necessarily mm-hmm. thrill. That's more like almost a cautionary tale. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. Sure. It, it does feel like humanity's hubris coming back at us in certain right. ways. Too. Like when you're... Uh, I like how the you know most of the workers had a respect for what they were doing. Like, okay, let's just be careful here. You know, we this thing could explode any moment. And that between that and the BP people who are just pushing the timeline and not listening to warnings, that I, I, the results are basically of that of that you know desire to push forward without being careful. And I think that's the ultimate message there. It doesn't feel as like celebratory as like you know uh, twenty twelve or any of those other movies. No. And I would say, though, if you do plan to see this in, in theaters, I had a chance to see this in Dolby Atmos, and my God, the sound. Oh, I, this is one of those movies that should be nominated for Best Sound Editing and Best Sound Design because mm-hmm. it, it is an extraordinary achievement. The, the, the layers of sound as the, the you know explosion and bad stuff is all happening around you, it's, it is all-encompassing. It's amazing. All right. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, that's our review of Deepwater Horizon, guys. And that's it for this week's episode of the podcast. Stay tuned to your OB reviewing next week. In the meantime, find more episodes of our podcast at uh, slashfilmcast.com. Email us at slashfilmcast at gmail.com. No slash film court this week, but we are still doing that. Um, so we're, ta- uh, we're taking a recess. <laughs> <laughs> court is in recess. Uh, and so, Jeff Canada, where can I find more of your work on the internet this week? Well, you can always follow me on Twitter. I'm at Jeff Canada, which is spelled with two N's and one T. I also have a couple other shows that you can check out. We have a uh, video game show called DLC, which you can find at 5x5.tv slash DLC. And I do a comedy science show called We Have Concerns that you can find at wehaveconcerns.com. Doing your hardware. Oh, you can find me on Twitter at, at Devendra, and I write about tech at Engadget.com. Check out the new Engadget podcast there, and uh, I'll have a review of the PlayStation VR this week. Uh, it's, uh, it's interesting. <laughs> all right. And find all my stuff at DaveChen.me, uh, and watch my film The Primary Instinct on Hulu or at ThePrimaryInstinct.com. I'm also going to be doing a live Q&A with Stephen Tobolowsky in Seattle on October 20th at Town Hall. So if you are in the area... Uh, do stop by and say hi uh, to me and Steven at Town Hall on October 20th. Um, so next week we're going to be viewing Birth of a Nation. 
really looking forward to this movie. Gotten a lot of buzz, and it's also in the news for not necessarily great reasons these days. Um, but uh, yeah, I really think this will be an interesting film to dive into. That's what we'll be reviewing next week on the Slash Filmcast, the official podcast of SlashFilm.com. This is Acast Recommends. Every week we pick one of our favourite shows, and this is one we think you're going to love. Who exploded Vivian Stone? Was it Screen Hunk McSalad? Mother's Digest called me dependably erotic. Leading Lady Joanna Shoebags. Oh, you call me dramatic again, I will die! First time director Wallace Byrne Matravers. I think I'll just keep my clothes on for now. Assistant director Laura Side Salad. If I can help you direct this film, I can certainly help direct your wink. Technician James Wigington. You've got a funny way of addressing a man holding a power drill. Or someone else entirely. Listen in to find out who exploded Vivian Stone. Acast is home to the biggest podcasts from the UK and around the world. Subscribe to this show and hundreds more now via Acast or wherever you get your podcasts. Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware. Don't you love an extra $100 in your pocket? Have a TurboTax expert file your taxes for you by March 31st to get $100 back instantly. Because no matter what moves you made last year, TurboTax makes them count. That means getting $100 back and 100% accurate taxes only from Intuit TurboTax. Must file by 331. Credit only applicable to federal filing fees with TurboTax full service. Offer can be modified or terminated at any time. Tax day is coming. Oh, no. But if you sign up for Robinhood Gold's IRA with a 3% match, you can get up to $195 for the 2023 tax year. Oh, yeah. Sign up at Robinhood.com slash boost by tax day to get the biggest contribution match on the market. Subscription fees apply. Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Robinhood Financial LLC, member SIPC. Tax day is coming. Oh, no. But if you sign up for Robinhood Gold's IRA with a 3% match, you can get up to $195 for the 2023 tax year. Oh, yeah. Sign up at Robinhood.com slash boost by tax day to get the biggest contribution match on the market. Subscription fees apply. Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Robinhood Financial LLC, member SIPC.